everybody. This is Keith Rainwater with the Designated Drummer Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, and I hope everybody's doing good. Today, I am going to talk about something that has come up uh, quite often and even very currently. Everybody seems to be talking about this a lot, and I don't know why now. Like, it's, it's always been a thing, but let's just call it click or no click. To click or not to click. Um, or better yet, to have click track or not to have click track. And, you know, this has come up a lot in uh, when you talk about the history of songs, the history of rock and roll, especially rock and roll, because like back in the days when they would do symphonies and stuff like that, they wouldn't play to it a click track or a metronome or anything like that. It would be the conductor of the orchestra would conduct as, as he or she felt that the tempo of the song needed to be. And that's just the way that was. And so when you listen to that symphonic music, it was really, you were just, it was, it was the conductor's interpretation of what that uh, tempo might be. Now he may have started with a, a metronome to, to, to sort of get the feel of it or something like that, then we'll turn it off. So, so how does this pertain to popular music now? Well, everybody knows that back in the day, you know, used to record an analog tape, obviously, and you could have a click track going if you wanted to, but, you know, back in the early days of rock and roll, you just had a good drummer and the drummer would play and the band would listen to the drummer and play along with the drummer. And if there wasn't a drummer for instance, in bluegrass music or something, somebody would certainly set the tempo for how the song needed to be. And the song just, it moved. It moved volume-wise and it moved tempo-wise, and that's what made music cool. And through the history of recording and the history of rock and roll and the history of popular music, drum machines came along, obviously, in the late 70s and the early 80s, and they have just been with us since then. Not to say that having a click track or having a drum machine following a drum machine or having a drum machine on a track, like have that actually what you're hearing, like a lot of that Huey Lewis, uh, really, really cool early Huey Lewis music was all done on a thing called the Lindrum. And that was a, a drum machine that Roger Lynn, a guy named Roger Lynn had invented that had samples of drums. Those who don't know, some of you probably already know this, you know, but for those that don't know, the drum machine, the Lindrum, was a drum machine that had samples of the drums recorded digitally onto this chip, this microchip, and you could program these drums, like kick drum, hi-hat, snares, had different clap sounds and all these different percussion things on there. You could quantize, it, it would be quantized automatically as soon as you played it, and quantized means it was everything was lined up perfectly. And then the the person that was programming it could actually, the cool thing about that drum machine, the Lindrum is that it had separate outputs on it that you could send the kick drum to a channel on a board, a mixer, and you could send the snare and the hi-hat and all these different things out to separate outputs and you could EQ them different. So just as if you'd had a drum kit with microphones on it and you're recording separate sounds, you could, you could, EQ and change the volume and mix the the drums from this Lindrum however you wanted to. So it sounded more like, a, you know, like like a record, like a, like a real drummer playing. And they were actually real recordings of drums, but it was just basically a computer playing it. And that became real popular in the 80s because music just was 
dancing, you know, of course, like in the disco era in the seventies, people danced and stuff like that, but it was really more, um, uh, it wasn't exactly to a metronome. Some of it was like, I believe that there was a Donna summer song that had, I don't think it even had drums on it. It just had a synthesizer that went and that was the whole rhythm of the song. People would dance to that. But in the eighties, dancing became popular and you would have like these things, uh, these drum machines playing and you would just, the rest of the stuff that played along with it, guitar and bass and stuff like that would just, um, would fill in the rest of the sound and it just became kind of normal. And I always make a joke about, about how uh, no real drum was actually ever recorded in the 80s. Now, it's not true, but I'd make jokes about it, that just about everything you heard was either the Lindrum or a drum machine or some kind of synthetic uh, computer playing the drum, the drums, now, which isn't true because there was like a lot of records that were made in the 80s that had real drums on them and that kind of thing. But anyway, so my subject today is click or no click, you know, um, which is better. I, I don't think that there, the answer is, and I think that at the end of this podcast, you'll probably agree with me that there really is no right or wrong. It's just a personal choice. It's a personal taste. And in some cases, when you're recording in something like Pro Tools or GarageBand or something like that, where you want the convenience of being able to cut out a digitally cut out a chorus or a part or a guitar part or a rhythm part or anything like that and move it to a separate part of the song if you don't have the click track or what they call the grid a grid is is in the recording uh program it has lines it's grid lines and each line represents like um, a beat or a subdivision or something like that and they call it the grid and it is set to a click track the drummer and the band would play along with this click track which in a lot of cases you wouldn't hear later on in the in the record you would that was hidden that was just like that was just a reference and the drummer would play along with this click and and if the drummer wasn't playing there if it was just an intro or something like that of course the piano player or guitar player or whoever would have to follow this click and some of them i will say uh the click tracks that you hear that pro tools creates are so terrible sounding they're ugly it's just like a it's like a boom 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 or it's a it's a chuck it's just really almost like a cowbell or something in your ear. Very irritating. Um, but, uh, and I do remember that, um, and I'll talk about this later, how Paul Lyme, the drummer Paul Lyme, would uh, create these really cool click tracks that you could actually use in the song, which we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, um, so click versus no click. Um, I think that a drummer... A drummer to me is like how, you know, how I mentioned earlier, it's like you have a conductor of an orchestra and the conductor is conducting the entire orchestra. He's setting the tempo for everything and you follow him or her. And I think a drummer in, in the same way in a band or in the studio or whatever is kind of like the conductor. I think of it as like the conductor. The drummer is playing his interpretation of what this tempo. Now, you may set the tempo ahead of time. But his interpretation of keeping a steady beat is up to the drummer. It's like their best uh, interpretation of how this tempo should be should be conducted throughout the whole song. And 
yes, they could speed up and it can slow down and it can have expression. And that is just to me in, in the same way a singer would sing a high note or sing a low note or sing quiet with dynamics and things like that. I think that, that especially classic in classic rock and roll, I think that, that uh, the drummer's decision to speed up or slow down is really kind of up to him or her, their discretion of how the feel of the song is going. You know, you can play along and if he feels like the verse needs to kind of lay back a little bit, then they would do that and, and it would feel great. Nobody would ever say, oh, that sounds terrible. It speeds up and slows down. It just depends on what else is going on in the song. And I think a lot of uh, producers and other musicians would agree that it it just has a feel. There's a certain breathing to it. it. It's a real song. It's real musicians playing real music that they've written or uh, if they're re-recording it or whatever. It's their interpretation of how this song should go and the mood and the feel and all that. And tempo is certainly one of those things. And then we had Pro Tools come along and... I think that people like Mutt Lang and uh, big producers like that would come along and say, well, I really need this to follow a certain tempo because later we're going to we're going to be flying some parts around and we're going to be adding some things. Or we want to use this drum machine, this Lindrum, because we need the drums to sound a certain way and we cannot get those sounds with real drums. We need to have this um, like, uh, for instance, um, Michael Jackson's uh, Thriller. When you hear Thriller, you hear that drum machine in the beginning. That that would be, I can't imagine somebody trying to play that on percussion or touching the buttons or whatever you want to call it, playing that live with no drum machine. That just needs that. So certainly you need to have certain parts that are quantized and that are perfect and that, that lend themselves to the song. And of course the drummer... And the other musicians are going to have to play along with that drum machine that's holding down the whole tempo. And then, um, you know, I reached out to a couple of friends of mine and asked them sort of what they thought about playing to click or no click. And um, here's what they had to say. Okay, so Rich Redman, a friend of mine, drummer for Jason Aldean and studio session drummer. And also educator, and he's, uh, I believe he's written a book that's going to be out soon. And I apologize that I don't remember what the name of the book is, but look it up, Rich Redman. And uh, he has uh, gotten a lot of quotes from other drummers and things like that about about playing and touring and all this stuff. And, and um, I cannot wait to get my hands on his book. It's going to be great. And I'm just trying to think of what the name of it is, but I, it escapes me. But um, I will try to put it in the show notes if I can. Rich Redman, I reached out, and basically I reached out to some friends of mine that um, I wanted to know what their opinion was about click or no click in the studio and live and just, just as a subject of playing to a click in any situation. And here's what Rich had to say, Rich Redman. He says, a good drummer should be able to make it feel solid, musical, and consistent with or without a click. It's a skill that requires time and attention in the trenches. And I think what he means by that is just like, you know, time, just like experience and getting out there and playing with bands and playing with other musicians and and getting to know how that works, you know, wh- whether with or without the click. 
He says, but no matter what, the attitude, intention, and happy vibes should be present either way. That's a really good way to put it. Happy vibes. Because music really is a thing about vibe. It's either happy or it's sad or whatever. And I think that that as a drummer, our job is to lay down the tempo, lay down the groove, and make the song just feel good. It needs to feel good. Whether it's a sad song or a happy song, the feeling of a band playing together and a, a group of musicians playing to a good, solid drummer, there's a feeling there that just, it's either there or it's not there. And in some cases, when, when there is a click track and you're playing so, you're laying so heavy on that click track, you almost sound like a drum machine, you could lose you could lose that vibe, that, that sort of happy vibe, and you feel like you're listening to a computer. Um, okay, so... A good friend of mine and bass player, Scotty Simpson, he, uh, I reached out to him. I did a session with him just before COVID, just as COVID was kind of doing, doing its thing. We went in and did a session. Uh, and he, I reached out to him about this and he, I thought it would be cool to have a perspective from a bass player on this and from not only drummers, but from bass players too, because they're very important in the rhythm and the groove and the feel and all that. And he has this to say, I personally don't listen to click and I draw from a drummer, which works great. He prefers a drummer using a click. So there's no question there. The, the click is there. Plus if recording and moving around parts in a song, there may be a tempo rub if everything isn't locked to a grid. So he's saying that with Pro Tools and that kind of thing, if you need to move a part around, if there, if there isn't, what he means by tempo rub is if it, it doesn't quite match up. If you're moving a guitar part over into the, towards the end of the song where it might be a little faster, it, it, it doesn't, doesn't match up. So he thinks that there needs to, if there is a grid that there, obviously, if you're going to move parts around, you need the grid. He says, however, a great drummer can play around the sterility sterility of the click without leaving the grid. There's a true art to it. Um, and he also says this. He says he always uses Exile, the band Exile, as an example of a band that can drift around the tempo without you ever noticing because the drifts are at the perfect musical moments. I love that. I love the way that was put. Thank you, Scotty. I appreciate that. And it's true. When you listen to Exile music, the band Exile, you don't ever think like, oh, that sped up or that slowed down or that moved, the tempo moved or whatever. It doesn't feel like that. It doesn't. It feels like it just fits the song the way it needs to. It just feels right. And it's like I mentioned that sort of happy vibe that Rich Redman was talking about. It's either there or it's not there. And music, I think that's what makes the difference between a hit song and just a, a demo or a song that you listen to and you're kind of like, eh, is that happy vibe? Does that happy vibe, does it live in there? Does it exist in the song? Did you create that, that happy vibe as a drummer, as a rhythm section, as a, as a full band, as a recording uh, session player? Did I create that vibe? And that's to me, the difference between making a hit record and, and just make, just make a noise. You know what I mean? Um, also, I reached out to John Spittle, who I had recently on my podcast here. Uh, he plays with Trace Atkins, the drummer, and he's been with Trace for a long, long time. And he's a really, really good drummer, um, session guy here in Nashville and 
plays out on the road with Trace Atkins a lot. And I asked him the same questions, click or no click. You know, how do you feel about it? And he said this, I think that's a good subject matter to touch on. And the difference between a drummer that can play with a click and still have feel and the drummer that can't play with a click because it destroys his feel. Yeah, that's totally right. I think that some drummers, especially if you're sort of new at it and you don't really know how to use a click track in your in your performance, you know, you can use a click track in your performance. Like I mentioned that Michael Jackson thing, uh, the drum machine at the beginning of of Thriller, it's it's definitely, you know, it needs to be there. It's just that 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 sort of vibe that that's created with that drum machine, and sometimes that you can use that, and to play along with it, uh, with a, a drum machine like that, and make it sound human and make it sound get that happy vibe. It's a skill. It really does take some time and experience to to get that down. And you know, I was talking to a friend of mine years ago, Kim Mitchell, and he was he's been on my podcast as well, a Canadian rocker, and we were just talking on the phone one time about playing in the studio and I think we were going to try and jam at one point, you know, get together and just jam around. And he said that he really misses the days of musical expression when the music could move throughout the song. And I totally agree with that. I totally identify with that. When music, you could sit down and listen to a record and it would start out a certain way. And then when the drums came in, it would sort of establish a groove. And then you could kind of speed up a little bit for the course. And just before the course, you could actually do like a fill that, a build that was really kind of almost slowed down a little bit and picked up the course and it sort of had expression. It it, it breathed and it moved. And the course would maybe be just a little uh, quicker tempo than the rest of the song. And then when it goes back down to, say, where the drums would drop out, and it would just be like an acoustic guitar or something playing a little thing. And that could kind of slow down a little bit and breathe. And then the drums would come back in and pick up the beat. And then it could move. It could have expression. And I think that's really cool that uh, that that Kim felt that way. And that he's kind of from that old school of like, you know, everybody learns their instrument, get together in the studio and play together and listen to each other. So, yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about my personal experience with the click track now i started out is just playing live i never really even set foot in a studio until um about the mid 80s mid to late 80s um i just i didn't know i didn't know anybody that that had a studio and that kind of thing and i was just playing live so the thought of playing with the click track live on stage like with other musicians following me and me having to play to this click and thinking like, what if I get off of the click? What happens then? Do I have to turn it off? Do I have to play to it when it's sort of like off in my ears or whatever? Um, it, 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 I had a lot of fear associated with a click track live. And of course in the studio too, that's intimidating of a, of a environment enough that, you know, the thought of playing to a click was equally as fearful so back in the day, until we started with Lone Star, you know, we started um, adding, I, I, I believe it started out, we needed some strings with songs like I'm Already There and Amazed and stuff like that. So we created some tracks that have strings on them, like the orchestra. We wanted there to be like an orchestra sound, like on the record. So we had to 
create a little click track to play to. And I thought, okay, now if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to play to this click, my fear was is that in my ear monitors that I would lose the, I would be playing and I would, other parts would come in and be louder than the click and I would lose the sound of the click track. And then if I lose the sound of the click track in my mix, in my ears, then I would be, I would get off of the click track and it would just be a disaster. So I thought, okay, in order to make this work, I'm just going to be practical about it. I have to have some kind of way to turn that click up in my personal mix. So I created a little tiny little mixer. I, I created, I didn't create it. I bought a little small mixer that, that had like two or three channels on it. So I had a stereo mix of the band and me and that thing from the monitor board. But I had them send me a, a, a separate mix, I mean a separate input, output, let's say, of the click track, just the click track to me, to my little personal mixer that was on the side of next to my drums. And I could plug my ear monitors into that little mixer. And if I felt like I was going to lose the click track, I could just turn that little fader up with just the click on it. And so that would save my butt. You know, I could, I could still hear the click and I could also turn the other mix down if it was getting too loud. Um, if it was a part of the song where everybody was playing really loud, then I could turn that down and make sure that I heard the click. And so I still do that to this day. I still, we, we play to a click and we have video uh, content that plays on our video screens and all that. So just about every song needs to have a click on it um, to follow the, the the video stuff that's sort of automated and plays along. And I, of course, I've been playing to a click for so long, it doesn't phase me anymore. I've learned how to play to it and make it sound like I'm just making it up on the spot, like I'm just playing good time. And it does take experience and practice to do that. Now in the studio, that click is definitely a necessity. Um, you have to be able to play to that click because 90% of the time you're on like the grid, like I mentioned, you're on Pro Tools and the producer wants to be able to move parts around. And and not just in one take, you want to be able to do the song in several takes. And I've seen them before where take number two of the, you, you play the whole song all the way through and then you do a, a second take. They keep that. And then they do a second take at the same tempo, play it along. Now their ability to take a part from the second take and fly it into the first take is, is right there. I mean, everything's isolated. The whole drums, you could take the drums from take one and import it into take seven if you wanted to. And, um, it, it, you, it should, everything should line up the dynamics. Everybody kind of plays it the same way. So if there was something in the first take that they really liked, they can keep that. So the ability to do that, I think producers really like that. Um, so, and it just kind of takes the, um, takes the, uh, the, the fear out of not the fear. What's the word I'm looking for? It, it takes the, um, ambiguity about what, whether the tempo was right or not. It's just like, it's a nice, straight, steady tempo, and the musicians in the studio are good enough. They're they're so good that they can play to that click and make it sound like they're just playing with good time. And that that becomes an art. Uh, uh, through the years, it's become a lot better. Now, back in the day, um, you know, you just had to have a good drummer and you had to play to that drummer. And the drummer would listen to the, the rest of the musicians and it would be a groove that you would create. And I kind of honestly, I kind of miss those days when you go back and listen to those records there's nothing wrong with those records at all. They're, they're 
amazing to listen to. The just a good band playing to, and of course, you know, in a lot of cases, the bands they wouldn't just like arrive at that the very first take. They would like camp out in the studio, and they would like bands like Fleetwood Mac and like that, um, that Boston and stuff like that. They would just like work on it and work on it and work on it day and day and day and month in and month out to get just that right feel and to to create hit records. You had to; it was trial and error. And I would love to hear some of the outtakes of some of those bands when they were trying to get the get the feel right and the tempo it's like well that was way too fast let's try this and just experimenting and trying to it's art right so it's it's just a a feeling you get you know it's right when it's right and um those those people back then they you know they would just camp out in the studio for you know months and months and months and wait until they get the right sound and kind of miss those days Nowadays, it's just you got to create something really fast and get it out. Exp- uh, studios are expensive, and to be able to uh, get in there and now we we do a certain amount of pre-production now before we go in the studio. We we get in there in a rehearsal space. It doesn't cost us much, and we work things out and we figure out how things are going to be played, arrangements, and we work out all the. Um, the arrangements of the songs and the compositions and things like that. And then, so when we do go in the studio, it's not a, we don't have to camp out there for six weeks. We can just nail down what we need to, as many takes as we need to get it down based on our pre-production. So, yeah. So now I'm going to move on to talking about the sound of a click track. If you do need to play to a click track, then a lot of times I've heard musicians say, I don't want the click in my ears. Let the drummer have the click. And like Scotty Simpson was saying, let the drummer have the click. I'll just play to the drummer. And some people are happy enough with that. But sometimes you have a song where there's a piano intro or the drums drop out in the middle of the song as the composition would go. And then the piano player or guitar or whatever would play. They have to be able to have that click to be able to hear the click, to keep it in the grid. So, one of the things is the click track in a lot of cases that Pro Tools has, they're so terrible sounding. It sounds like someone hitting a wood block right next to your ear or a cowbell or, or some kind of uh, electronic doot kind of tone thing. You know, It's just terrible to listen to. They just don't really have very many good clicks. So the uh, attempt to try and make the click track sound musical would be there, you know, try to attempt to make a click track to where you could actually pleasantly listen to it. And I know Paul Lyme, I've seen him before in the studio where he has a drum composer, a little drum machine over there with a cat pad. Cat pad is where you can hit the pads with sticks, your sticks, and it's right there next to his kit. And you can hit those pads and they trigger digital sounds drums percussion whatever usually it's like a percussion part and he would record that on a little drum machine and it would quantize it and then he could play that back and he would sit there and i've seen him do this before look at the chart before everybody would run the song down everybody would still be sort of talking about the song and he would run back there into the 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 drum booth with his chart and he would sit there and play uh, percussion in his little cat pad and record to a click track, um, record the, the whole entire song with 
all the changes and stops and this and that with the, with the thought that, you know, the producer might want to keep this in the song, you know, like use it as an instrument, like a percussionist or something. And Paul would go back there and record some cool, not only just a click track, which was pleasing to listen to a lot of times he would create something that instead of like, boom, 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 like that, he would create something like they would go. It's almost like somebody playing a shaker and he could follow that. And also a piano player could follow it. And I've even seen him before on a ballad. And I thought this was really brilliant on a ballad where you would have piano or something in the in the beginning where you don't need to hear that click you, and sometimes the click is so resilient in the headphones the sibilance of it you can hear it bleeding from the headphones into the mic or a singer or or something would they would you could hear it in their headphones so paul i saw him create a click track using a sample of somebody thumping on a guitar an acoustic guitar and he told me what it was. It was some, I mentioned the name, somebody pl- with an acoustic guitar and they were thumping on the guitar like boom, 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 boom. And he sampled that and can could program that into perfect time and make a drum machine out of it so that you could listen to it, play along with it, and it would not bleed through your headphones into a microphone, let's say. Um, so little things like that that I think Paul Lyme is definitely because of his experience and um, years that he's been doing this and he's felt the need and of course, you know, implemented the need to create better click tracks that you could actually use in a track um, rather than just keep it buried or erase it later or whatever. So he would do that. He would create these, these tracks. Now I did hear that Phil Collins um, and I don't remember where, I th- oh, um, Kim Mitchell had told me that he was recording in a studio somewhere and Genesis was just right down the hall recording an album in there. And he went in and would just, you know, kind of hang out and watch him for a little bit. And he got the chance to listen to Phil Collins headphone mix when he would play. And I don't remember what song it was, but he probably does it to all his songs. He would have a percussion, a drum machine programmed as just the click track with tons of subdivisions in there. By that, I mean, he would have uh, all kinds of percussion, like like that. That's my bad impression of what his percussion, percussive um, click track would have sounded like. But all those subdivisions, basically, even if it's a simple drum part, there's no ambiguity about where the beat is in, in any given time during the song. If you're doing a long fill where there's like long open notes, you don't have to try and catch up to the click because it's, it's, it's every like eighth notes or something. He would, Phil Collins would program in all these subdivisions and this percussion part so that you probably most cases wouldn't hear all this percussion stuff. But when he played it, it was perfect time. And he he could just be, feel, be very comfortable playing to all this percussion stuff. Even if you don't hear the percussion stuff later on, he could hear it and he could hear the subdivisions and playing along. So that just absolutely informs me that learning how to program a drum machine would be so, so useful in being a drummer and 
you know, playing in this modern environment that we have of recording, playing live to with video screens and all this stuff, learning how to program a drum machine for click track would just be so useful. And I think that every drummer, every musician really should learn how to, should buy a drum machine and learn how to program it. Or you can, of course, get ones for your computer and learn how to program uh, drum beats and click tracks and things like that in there to where it's pleasing to listen to. Because imagine playing a a song that's going to be a hit song, hopefully, you know, your, your best intentions, and you're playing along, and you're trying to play with emotion and feel and all that, but you've got this dreaded cowbell thing in your ear and or this this don't 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 like synth sound that's just like littering the music and it's so hard to get a feel with that going on but imagine if you had a really nice percussive shaker with a little tiny little clab in there maybe just a little click or a stick or a tambourine uh, a stab of a tambourine in there like it would sound like a percussionist is playing a beat for you and you're playing along with that and, uh, you know, I've seen Paul Lyme play with his little percussion click track that he made. He, and I saw him actually um, record a percussion track on his cat pad. It quantizes automatically, then it's playing. And you, you can hear what he just played. And then he just reaches right over and starts playing his kit along with it as if it were, as if the the drum machine were another part of his body. And he was playing that like it's almost like he was he was playing to that so tight that it sounded like just one person playing. And I really dug that. I, I, it inspired me the way he played along with that so perfectly. And um, that's what makes Paul Lyme who Paul Lyme is. And it sounded so natural, too. It didn't sound like he when he was playing his regular drums on top of that drum machine, it didn't sound like a drum machine. It sounded like he was just playing a really nice steady beat because he kind of moved around in that just enough to where it sounded like a human playing, but not like uh, he just programmed the drum machine. He had the expression and he had dynamics in there. Like he would just barely tap the hi-hat. The rhythms on the hi-hat wasn't just like he's hitting it, you know, 90% every time. He would he played it with, with feel and all that. And I just, that inspired me to, to to do that more. And it has really helped me play live the way we do with a click track and to play as if I was making up that drum beat right on the spot and just play in perfect time. You know, that that's what I strive for. I strive to play to a click and make it sound like I'm just playing good time and, I, and I'm not too stiff, a little loose, but not to where it sounds like I'm a drum machine. But I will say um, that playing without a click let's just say there's no click and you're just playing a song normal what i do what i have done that's helped me a lot is imagine a drum machine in your head imagine if you had programmed that drum machine and you just hit play and the sound of that drum machine the the, the groove the feel that's how i go about playing a drum part without a click if there's no click it's kind of strange. It's kind of like when you have a drum machine, you don't want to sound like a drum machine. You don't. You want to sound normal. Without the drum machine, you want, you kind of almost want to sound like you have good time, such good time that it is 
like a drum machine. So I, I try to emulate the sound of, not the sound of a drum machine, but the perfect time of a drum machine, if that makes sense to you. I would play along in my mind with the drum machine in my head and and try and keep perfect time that way, but also add musical expression and things like that in there. That's kind of how, how I, I sort of go with that. And also to listen, and, and I think a lot of musicians and drummers will tell you that listening while you're playing is so, so important to being a good band and a good tight band and a good feeling band and keep that good vibe. Like, um, like Rich Redmond was talking about the happy vibe, listen to the other players, a good listening drummer. You're playing along. You're not just playing for yourself, playing all the licks that you know, and trying to sound cool all the time. Listen to what's going on around you and the other musicians and what they're playing and how they're playing it and how their expression is. That can really tell you what to play in your mind, inform you of how you need to be playing together with this band. And they're listening to you. They, they have to listen to you because you're the drummer. You're supplying the tempo. But don't stop there. You have to turn that back around and listen to what they're doing. Now, I don't mean like play, uh, uh, let let the rest of the band influence your tempo. Keep good tempo, good time, but maybe dynamically or mood-wise, or maybe there needs to be something there that they're playing that you can add to it, you know. Um, like if a guitar player is going and they're playing like a figure, like a composition, you can add to that. You can throw a little hi-hat in there and just, just to let them know that, hey, I'm listening to what you're playing and I'm responding to that. And I'm kind of enhancing that without stepping over it, without stepping on it. Um, and I've seen drummers before, like Lonnie Wilson a lot of times, I've seen him play where there'll be um, sort of like an acoustic guitar. It'll be an, a heavy uh, strumming acoustic guitar uh, going through the song, and he won't try and litter that with a bunch of hi-hat. He'll keep that hi-hat like um, like on one and three. He'll like one, three, one, three on the hi-hat so that that acoustic guitar, he's listening to that acoustic guitar. Let the acoustic guitar play the eighth notes. And I'll just I'll just kind of hit it, stab it on one and three on the hi hat, and let them do it. So listening to your band and playing along um, with them is definitely um, what you want to do. And uh, I honestly I really do miss the days of, like Kim Mitchell said, listening to an, a record where you just had a bunch of really good musicians go in the studio and and you know that they that they took their time and they really worked on something and they got that that feel that right feel they didn't stop until until it was right you know and that's what i love about some of that older music and a lot of times i think that young people nowadays this generation of younger people coming up they listen to older songs on youtube from the 70s um uh like aerosmith and boston and um you know, all those bands, Fleetwood Mac. And they, one of the comments I've seen people saying is what happened to this music? What, how come there isn't this, this great music now? You know, there really is, there is a lot of, but there's so many bands out there. It's hard to, to go through them all and listen to who has that same Fleetwood Mac vibe or that same Boston vibe or whatever. But, um, I think all in all, the fact that they, that they sat in the studio for 
weeks and weeks and just worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. The, I, I just don't know if those days are still here. And I think that to me, in my opinion, that is what is kind of missing in the music nowadays. I think we've, we, we're such a hurried production schedule now anymore, especially if there's money involved and there is a record label or someone that wants to get this music out as soon as possible. And they're sort of hurrying up the artist or the, they're putting pressure on the artist to try to have this thing recorded and finished and all that in a, in a real quick amount of time so you can get it out and then move on to the next record. And the next record, it's more like, it's more like um, volume versus quality. It's like quantity versus quality. I think that the music back in those days, it was like quality. You know, that's number one. It's good. It's going to be played on radio and it's going to be out there. And it needs to sound good on radio, like in your car speakers and all that. So they would really spend a lot of time on the mix and getting just the right feel and the right groove and the right compression. And the and I think they spent so much time on every aspect of of that music, um, from the writing of it and the lyrics to the to the laying down the rhythm section to getting the vocal just right and getting the harmonies to match that vocal just right and i think there are bands out there that are they're doing that now but uh they're sort of uh mixed in with all the other bands that are sort of hurried up trying to get their music out there it's kind of hard to find that they are out there um and i i really do miss the days of when you would sit down with your record player and put the headphones on and i would sit there and listen to boston when I was a teenager and just be lost in that world, dreaming of one day that I could be playing on stage or playing in the studio. And I was trying to imagine like what those guys looked like when they were in the studio playing with their headphones on and with the tape rolling, the two inch tape and all that. I was just lost in the world of curiosity and, and inspiration listening to those records. And, uh, I didn't know much about how they were recorded at that time. But I do now, and I've read a lot about how they would spend weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and um, just just getting these songs right, you know. And, and I was just uh, recently watching a podcast that had Gary Malabar, who played drums on a lot of that uh, Steve Miller stuff, that early Steve Miller band stuff, and talking about how they would just like invent and they would be in the studio and they would he would say, "Hey, Steve." Uh, can I make up an intro? Can I create an intro? And he would say, yeah, sure. You know, so he would create like this really cool drum intro, which some of the coolest intros of songs ever start with drums like that to me, in my opinion, of course I'm a drummer, but I will say that some of the coolest intros of music. And here's what I like about, about that. And I'll just, this doesn't have anything to do with click track, but, um, just off subject a little bit about starting a song off with drums and I've talked about this before in my podcast, how cool it is to to intro a song where it's just the drum beat because there's so much um, you're 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 setting the audience up to to know what kind of song it's going to be, whether it's going to be so sort of slow or medium or fast or whatever. You're giving away just a little bit, a taste of the feel of the song. And then when everything else comes in, then it's like adding the icing on the cake. It's so pleasing to listen to that. all come together like that. And a lot of times, one thing I learned was playing live is that um, if the rest of the band isn't ready or if they have to change guitars or if they have to talk to the audience a little bit, one of the best ways to 
start a song, even though maybe in the record it didn't start that way. One of the best ways to start a song live on stage is to start the drums. Let's let the drums play the beat. And and you're already establishing that groove. The rest of the band already knows what the beat is. They know what the tempo is. And they know the feel of the song before you even count them in or they can count themselves in or whatever. You're just um, sitting back there supplying the tempo. And another thing is that it's entertaining for the audience to listen to versus saying just like dead time. Well, we just nothing going on on stage, complete silence or someone just talking or whatever with a little bit of a drum beat going on. It's interesting. It's like something to watch. It's something to listen to. It's something that adds and helps tell the story. And then when the rest of the band comes in playing, it's already that you're already used to that groove. And in a lot of cases, you don't really know what song it is yet. And then when they start playing it and then, Oh yes, it's that song. Okay. I should have known. Yeah. I, I thought I recognized that drum beat and it's just an entertaining way to do it. And I think Gary, Gary Malabar uh, had a, had a really great feeling of, of how to do that. You know, with those early Steve Miller records with uh, swing town and take the money and run and songs like that, where he's just like, Hey, let me have an intro. Let, let me just, let me just play. And you just come in whenever. I think that was really cool. I'm a big fan of Gary Malabar and uh, the things that the stuff that he played with Eddie Money and Steve Miller and Van Morrison and all that, you know, great, great studio drummer in a lot of ways. You know, he could didn't have to have the click. He could just play along and uh, the rest of the band could follow him and didn't necessarily have to be like perfect, like right with the metronome, but he was such a good timekeeper that it never was a question. It never was a problem. And he could just, um, just such a great studio guy could play. He had the chops and he had the imagination to come up with, um, those kind of things, you know, like who would have thought of take the money and run to do that little drum thing at the beginning like that. That's so cool. And I've heard the original, recording of take the money and run and it was real slow it was almost like um the joker it was like boom boom it started out like that um and yes take the money and run the one that's like real fast up tempo and i think at some point they said you know this song it just needs to be faster it needs to have some a uh, sort of a a gallop to it you know kind of like needs to have some really up you know, feeling inspiring up tempo stuff going on. And so they did it that way. Very cool. Kudos to them for, for working it, you know, and just keeping on and, and making it better and better and better until finally you arrive with the hit song that you end up with. So click track or no click track. That's the question. Well, I think that's really, as, as I've proven here, it can be both. It can live, it can live in our world or it can not live in our world. You can you can either choose to play a song perfectly with no click live or in the studio and play along. And I think that, honestly, I think that young people now, it seems to me like they really dig stuff that is more organic. You know, things like vinyl and 16 millimeter film and things that are real like that, like two inch tape. And, and then uh, along with that, bands that have a good drummer and they play a good beat and that doesn't necessarily go to a grid. You know, I think that, that, um, young people enjoy just a story, a feel, a mood, a vibe, a song. And, uh, I think as long as it's, it's not just like horribly, horribly speeding up or slowing down, 
um, then it just doesn't matter. You know, like uh, Honky Tonk Women by the Rolling Stones, that song starts out really slow, uh, normal, let's say normal, and then by the end of the song, it's very, very fast. And nobody ever one time said that that song was terrible or that, that, that oh, listen to that, it speeds up. It just, it just what it is what it is. You know, it's just a great song. You follow it. It has energy. It picks up. And that's just the feel of the song. Also, Superstition by Stevie, Stevie Wonder. That song starts out really slow. And then by the end of the song, it's cooking. And so it's, it's a great song. It's still a great song. Everybody loves listening to that. And uh, something about that, that, that beat that starts out with the drums like that, you know. Again, starting out with the drum beat. And then everybody coming in. And I think almost with that song, Superstition, as soon as the band comes in, it starts to speed up immediately, which is kind of cool. It's kind of like, oh, oh, okay, this needs to be a little bit faster. And then it, it kind of picks up from there. So, yeah, click or no click, to click or not to click. I think it just needs to be, a, it's a personal choice, and it just needs to serve the song. I think the song is the song, and it needs to tell a story, whether it is with a drum machine or with a grid or a click or whatever. But as a drummer, I would say that you need to, my advice is that you need to learn to live in both worlds. You need to learn to live with a click and learn how to play it to where it is, you have so much experience playing with that click that it doesn't even matter. Like it shouldn't even, it should be in the back of your mind and not and not governing your your dynamics and your feel and your groove. It should be in the back of your mind, using it as a reference and just playing along with it and keeping good time and creating good dynamics within that within that grid. And then also off the grid, playing without the click, you should be able to play well enough tempo, good enough tempo, well enough to where it doesn't feel like it's 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 going crazy and it's okay to speed up and slow down a little bit that's just the way music is um and i think people enjoy the energy of a song that kind of picks up like that or comes back down when it needs to come down it's uh it's just a human thing and i think people love listening to humans playing music with emotion and feel and all that and um you know i just think that's um what we need and that's uh, us as drummers. We have to live in both of those worlds with the click and without the click. And you have to be able to rock both of those scenarios with no problem and make it your own thing and have fun with it and just keep on playing, playing to a click, playing without the click and, you know, just have fun out there. But make it your own and make it expressive and have fun with it. And I will... See you next time on Designated Drummer. That's all I got to say about that right now. So uh, come back and uh, listen to us next week. This has been Key Trainwater. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.